We're finishing up um, lesson four of this series where we're talking about pride. And just to, to run through a quick um, introduction or review, um, we talked about um, pride as being the ultimate or even the foundational sin of unbelief. Because when we don't believe God, we don't believe he is who he says he is, or we don't believe that he can do what he says he can do, where do we inevitably go? Who can do it? Me. Or this person because they can do something for me. So pride is the only place to go if you're not going to believe in in the God of the Bible. So pride is an awful, terrible sin. It is the just the epitome of foolishness. Um, we put way too much credit to ourselves as if we have some kind of power uh, and we talked last week uh, I made the comment we don't you don't even have the power to make your heart beat right that's inside your own body we can't make sure that the electrical signals are going uh, are firing correctly in our own brains okay we we have no power um, to affect the things that we think we can so um, pride we just going through a couple of definitions um, we had, let me see if I can find my, my notes here. Um, Luke Priola had some definitions that we went over. Pride is the delusion that our achievements are, the, are primarily the result of our own doing. Um, so we take way too much credit. And, uh, that's, so that's pride when we are thinking, man, I'm just really good. That's why I got that promotion. That's why I got, that's why I got my kids turned out the way they are. That's how my marriage is so awesome. Um, that's why I'm in this position. Uh, that, was, that is pride. Definition two, pride is esteeming ourselves above and beyond the condition and proportion that God has appointed for us. Uh, it's, it's wanting to be in a higher place when that is not what God has placed me in. And then definition three is similar, but it's wanting others to believe that about us as well. It is um, the desire to be esteemed by others above and beyond the condition that, and proportion that God has appointed for us. So, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira would be a good example of that. They wanted the, the attention and the recognition that Barnabas got when he sold his land and gave it all to the church. They wanted that, but they didn't want to actually do that. They wanted to keep some of the money for themselves. And then the fourth definition was pride is the desire to exalt ourselves above and beyond the condition and proportion that God um, has appointed for us. So it's taking, uh, putting ourselves in the place of God and... We, and um, Herod is an example of that when uh, people were saying, it's the voice of a God, not a man. And he just was like, yeah, you know what, you're right. And then God struck him dead. So, not a good example. So, um, And then we finished up last week talking about uh, a bonus definition where pride could be, uh, this is a little bit, not, not quite as intuitive, it, it's the fixation on, on what I can't do or how I'm un- able to or unworthy of things it's this unhealthy fixation on my weakness um, the bad things about me and it's a refusal to believe that, that I can be used by God um, to do for his glory or that God can even work in my heart to help me to overcome something so uh, an unhealthy fixation on my weakness is also a, a, a way that pride works itself out in our hearts. Uh, to consider that I'm just too bad and that God's grace can't really work in me. That's pride. So, we, so 
when we get practical then, is point three, um, we're trying to get practical in our fight against pride, we have that same uh, four steps that we talked about with anxiety. So first is to stop and think about God. We're fearing God when we pause and, and we think, well, where is God in this fight? So when we're proud, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Very well-known passage. I'll have to remember that I'm trying to hurry. So, Psalm 139, 1 through 4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And we can keep going. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This is being amazed at God in his omniscience. He knows the words that I'm going to say before I say them. He knows the thoughts that I'm going to think before I think them. That, that will humble us. It ought to. If it doesn't, there might be something else wrong with us. But fearing God, knowing he knows all of our thoughts, he knows my heart. He knows what's going to happen. He's no, he knows what's already come to pass. Um, that's a humble. Where is God? He's everywhere in it. How does God feel about my pride? You can just listen. I'll, I'll turn to a couple of these Proverbs. Um, we've all heard them before. Uh, Proverbs eight thirteen. How does God feel about it? The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil and pride and arrogance. <laughs> are the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. Okay, over to 16, Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Okay, again, what we're doing here is we're, I'm, I sense this pride that's in my heart. Okay, I stop and think, okay. Lord is the one who knows all. The Lord is the one who uh, knows everything about me and what's going on. Uh, and he hates pride. If I continue in this, I will not go unpunished. That's something that we need to call to mind. We need to think about them. We need to affirm them and believe them. Okay, that is true. So now what do we do? We act on that. One more, Isaiah 42 Isaiah 42, 12 and 13. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. I don't think that was one I wanted. 42.8. Thank you. What did I look at? 42.8. Way off. All right. 42.8. I'll try that again. I am the Lord. This makes much more sense. All right. <laughs> I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God will not share his glory with us. Okay, so thinking about those things, how does God feel about, about me trying to steal his glory? Not good. Right. He will punish it. He will not share it. He does not need. We do not deserve it. So we trust God is the second step. So we stop thinking about, okay, how does God fit into my pride right now? What, what should I be thinking? Remind ourselves. We identify where is my faith when I think too highly of myself. 
what am I, what is my trust? What am I trusting in? That's never the right answer. When I'm in the midst of my proud heart, my trust is in me. I believe that I can affect things better, more efficiently than God can. Okay? If I'm thinking too lowly of myself, if I'm fixated on this sin or this weakness or this past experience that I've been through and I just can't move on, I'm fixated on it, I'm thinking that God is too small. God can't help me overcome this. He can't move me beyond this. He can't help me be uh, to have victory over the sin with his power. So, whose kingdom and glory am I thinking? Am I seeking? Of course, that's mine. I want what's good for me. Turning page four, we have repent. We turn to God confessing our idolatry. Confessing that I want to be on the throne. And I think I kind of deserve it, if I'm being honest. Okay? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then we seek to obey God. That last part, we, uh, John 14, 15, we, we are to walk in obedience, to do what Jesus says. Um, let's just look at one of those, uh, Rome, Romans 11, another very well-known passage. One of our favorites. If I can get there quickly. Romans 11, 33. All right. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift? No, sorry, given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What do we do? We, we worship the Lord. So we walk in, in obedience to the Lord. We worship him, confessing and memorize that scripture. Just quote it to myself over and over. From him and to, through him and to him are all things. So pride's awful. That's a summary. There you go. We're going to skip that. Go on because we've got um, Man, we're going at a good pace here. Look at lesson five. So that is the same kind of structure that we're going to go through here at the end of um, fighting covetousness. Now, if you're like me, coveting does not sound like that bad of a sin, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Maybe you're not like me, maybe it's just me. But um, if you kind of rank your top worst awful sins, coveting, if I'm being honest, is not really on my top ten. Right? Um, <clears throat> I think that's probably, I mean, I know that's what... Uh, our culture would say as well. If you ask people, what are the worst things you can do to people? You have murder, and you'll have like assault and rape, and all these kinds of things. You'll be all these terrible things, genocide and racism. You'll have all these things on this list, and and coveting will not show up. Um, but today, we're going to think about the serious consequences of unaddressed covetousness in our lives, because it is it's awful. Okay, so real quick, let's go to Jeremiah. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah. Um, we're in chapter 2 I've got a couple of the verses uh, right there for you but I'm going to actually read a little bit earlier in there but my handout was already five pages so I'm trying to (laughs) save some space Jeremiah 2 what we have here is an illustration this is not, it doesn't say coveting in here but this is an illustration of what coveting is and then we'll talk about definitions in a moment 
the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim the he- in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who ate of it incurred gr- guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is an illustration of what, uh, of what covetousness is practically speaking, when you look at it. Uh, so look at our objectives here. We're going we're gonna to define covetousness and see how we can fight it with faith in Christ and in his word. Um, and we're going to use that four-step process again to help us walk by faith when we're tempted to covet. So, point number two. What's the big deal about covetousness? Like we talked about earlier, it's not something we talk about a whole lot, not something we hear about from the outside of the church. And, and it's possible that many of your colleagues, family members, and acquaintances don't, don't even know what it is. Right? So if you ask your, somebody in, at work, what's covetousness? What does it mean to covet? Do you think they'd be able to, to answer that? Some might if they have some, some kind of background in, in church, but uh, that's just not a word that we know uh, or we use very much. But John Piper defines it this way in his book, Battling Unbelief. Good one, by the way. We have a few in the, in the, um, in the resource center. He says, covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God or losing your contentment in God so that you start to seek it elsewhere. Okay, I'm going to read it again and think about what this, is, what this would look like. Covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. Or it's losing your contentment in God so that you seek it, you begin to seek it elsewhere. What's the difference between those fir- those two parts? Kind of use that or as like the dividing line. The front part and the second part. What's the, the difference? One of, well, both of them, you're replacing God, but one of them, you're desiring something and then it overlaps God and the other one 
you decide God isn't good enough, mm -hmm. so then you seek something to replace him. Yeah, I, I think the first one is, it seems to be more obvious. Like, I really want to be rich, or I really want this job or this position. And so because I want that thing so badly, I'm not thinking about God. I'm not looking in his word. I'm not really, if, if this thing requires me to miss a Sunday or a Bible study night or whatever the case is, I will do it because that's the thing that I'm seeking satisfaction in. So that, that's the one where I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's easy. But it's the second one that I think I'm more guilty of. Um, the difference is there's not like one specific thing that I feel like I just need to have that. But it's, it's like this complacency where I stop being satisfied in God and then by default, I'm going to start to look other places. It's like eating. If I don't eat today, it's not like I don't get hungry. I still get hungry. I'm still going to go and eat something. If I don't eat the healthy food that's been prepared for me, I'm like, no, I just don't want to eat that. I'm just, I'm just kind of tired. I'm not going to worry about it. Later, I'm going to have to eat something. And so satisfying ourselves, looking to the Lord as the one who can satisfy us, will take care of the coveting. But it's not just those, those hedonists who just are going after the drugs and the sex and the alcohol and all these things. That's what we like to point to when we think of coveting. But it can be when, when we just stop our devotions, or we, we stop beholding Christ, and our hearts just kind of go dull. We start looking to other things. Some of them might even be good things. So looking at page two, how does covetousness, by that definition, how does it affect our faith in God? Just to review, for some of you have not been here for a while, um, or some of you are, like just got some guests in here. Um, faith was, it required three things, remember? If you have saving faith, it, you have to know some things about Jesus. That's obvious. You have to know Jesus. You have to know who he is. There's things about him. You have to, second step was, you have to believe that those things are true. Many people hear that and say, that's fairy tales. No, we hear that. We know that. We understand it. We believe that it's true. And then thirdly, we trust him, and our, our lives reflect that trust. That trust is a lot of times what's missing in our faith. What are you practically relying on day in and day out as you make decisions and uh, respond to people and go through trials and all this kind of stuff? That reveals where your trust is. Are you trusting in Christ? And that's the, that's the third part of faith, if you're trusting in Jesus alone for your righteousness. So when we think about our, that kind of faith, the faith that saves, how does coveting affect that? I think this is another example of like a God plus mentality. Mm -hmm. of, yes, Jesus. But also, mm -hmm. I want this thing or this accolade or this status or because it will make me a better person. Or mm -hmm. you, you disguise it under whatever mm -hmm. holy, righteous word you want to. But down at the root, it's God is not sufficient. 
therefore yeah. I need something additional. Yeah. If I am desiring something so much that I lose my contentment in God, my, my trust in Him, those things can't go together. Good point. Any other comments? Happier if we had what we wanted. I'm happy, but I'll be happier. Mm-hmm. That works in your mind, in your sinful approach as well. Yeah. We think there'll be more content, I'm content, but I'll be happier. So happy. Yeah. I'm, yeah, Jesus makes me happy, but it would be a little bit better if. Fill in the blank. We would lose our growth and faith. It'd be more. I mean, we'd go to pride because mm-hmm. we're seeking whatever we're mm-hmm. seeking. Or, so there would be no growth of our faith. Yeah. If we are coveting, we that trust part. We might know the right answers. We know that God is the one who can satisfy our souls. He's the one who is worthy of our worship and devotion. We know that, but I'm trusting in something else. If I did get that house, if I got the dream house, with all the stuff that I want in it, like then I then that would be it. It's also interesting. It's also interesting God's character. Like, yeah, he, he might give me good things, but he's stingy with his gifts. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yes, he is sovereign, but and then and you twist it to kind of, I, do, I need this, because he can't, he can't quite meet my need in that way. So there's a lot of twisting the character traits of God. Yeah, yeah. He's just not, either, either he's not interested in, in, in this part of life, and so I need to do it, or I need to... Make sure I get that, or he just he did, maybe he's he is kind of stingy and doesn't want me to have it, and he wants me to do X, Y, Z. And some of that might be a for for someone like that that we might be discipling or counseling. We need to go back and, and do the what do you know? We can teach them a little bit better. Um, there's a lot of I mean, all other religions, the blessing of of God comes from your effort and you're doing what you need to do. You've got to work for it. And if they feel like they've worked for it and God has betrayed them or, or it's not worked out, well, then they're going to have some bad, probably some ideas about what God's like. So we're going to have to teach them. As for talking about trusting God, sorry for going on so long, but it reminded me of anxiety. Like if we say, oh, mm-hmm. I'll, I, I, yeah, God will help me, but I, this item, this paying off this or whatever will make me less anxious so you're not trusting God for your anxiety anymore. You're trying to covet something, maybe social status or whatever, mm-hmm. for helping your anxiety instead of trusting God to help you through that. Yeah. Yep. So that's covetousness and faith. Doesn't, they, don't, they don't coexist. Okay, they're not. They don't mix well. So we're gonna take a quick survey of how God warns us about covetousness and see the list or see why the sin of coveting is so terrible. Um, so look at Exodus twenty seventeen. Um, those of you who know that section of scripture, what's going on at this time? Exodus twenty. Ten commandments. God is speaking to His people on Mount uh, on Mount Sinai, and how are they feeling about that? Warm and fuzzy in their hearts. No, they're terrified. But 
God is giving them the Ten Commandments, and guess which sin makes it make in the commandments, the Ten Commandments, covetousness. And it's the last one, but it says, God speaking to them, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not cover, covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So, uh, I did look up the, the Hebrew word there. It means to desire earnestly or to long after something or to covet, which kind of matches with um, Piper's definition. Um, so what do we observe here about the sin of covetousness in Exodus? Focused on what gifts you have been given. You're always focused on what everybody else has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a focus on other, other your neighbor, right? What he has. Good. And if you think about it, it leads to a lot of other sins. If you're coveting your neighbor's wife, you probably are going to go after her, as David did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, we'll get to that. That's a, a major point of emphasis in, in some other texts that we'll read. Yeah, it's interesting because listen to these other commandments. Let's see here. Um, Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. That's about idols. Uh, Then he goes, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Resting. Um, 12, uh, verse 12 honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness all of those things there's like an outward evidence of those things like you can tell if you're making an idol right? you can see it at that time um, you, you can hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain you can see the body if somebody murders somebody Right? You can find evidence of this thing. And then the last one is, don't covet your neighbor's wife, servants, donkey, ox, that kind of stuff. Don't, there's, there's not a way for you to look at me and tell if I'm coveting or not. So that's something that's really interesting here is we're, we're talking about the, the desires. Now, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he kind of shows us that all of the other commandments are about the heart as well. But this one is specifically directed at your desiring. What do you earnestly want? Don't earnestly (coughs) desire what your neighbor has. So, number four, the the, the things that we kind of just listed them off there. Um, Don't covet your neighbor's wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that that is your neighbor's. It's kind of all encompassing. Um, number five, what might be some 21st century equivalents to those things? I guess you can just watch the advertisements of cars, and that's kind of yeah. Uh, everybody's looking at their neighbor's car and staring. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it kind of teaches you to want. Yeah. So yeah, the the donkey maybe maybe that's uh, about transportation. Ox is about like things that help them in their work, right? Wife, that's still the same. I remember when I watched Dan and Yogurt advertisements and thought I could get that kind of figure. 
but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you, the the physical form of someone, like I want to be fit like that person. Don't covet any of the things that your neighbor has. Don't <clears throat> earnestly desire them. Um, a good example is in Joshua seven, where they the walls of Jericho fall down. They rout everything. Everything's supposed to be devoted to the Lord. And Achan, what does he do? He says he coveted the, those things. I'm, I'm going to go there. We're going to try to save some time. But he, he uses that word. I saw it, and I coveted it and took it. He strongly desired that stuff, the silver, the gold, and the, and the robe. One thing I think about when I think about sin, of course, pride and and sin all have eye in the middle of them, but also it's, it starts with the lust of the eyes, which is covering mm-hmm. the lust of the flesh, and then the pride of life. Yeah. After that, that's death. So. Yeah, you can covet anything. Right. So, Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. This is where typically it goes. We want money. What is Solomon teaching us about coveting money here? The one who loves it will not be satisfied. Unless it gets to a certain number, right? When you make that certain number, then you'll be satisfied. No, no that's, not, that's not it. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. There is no satisfaction. When that's what you love, and that's what you strongly desire, there will never be a number that you get that you'll say, ah, oh, there's the satisfaction. There's the joy, the peace. There it is. Now I've, I've reached it. That strong desire ensures that you will never get enough. Or you'll be afraid that once you've gotten enough that it mm-hmm. will disappear. Mm-hmm. That, you know, yeah. the stock market will crash or something. Yeah. Which then feeds into, well, I, maybe I should just get more. Because if the stock market does crash, I'll have a little bit more. To, yeah, just, it will not work. The other thing, the other thing he's teaching us is vanity. It's worthless. Solomon and Ecclesiastes over and over and again, it's vanity. It's striving after wind. It's pointless. It's not going to do what I wanted it to do. That kind of his regret over his lifetime? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think there's, there's a lot of that. He's reflecting on, I, I built all these buildings. I did all of these orchards and I did all this stuff. I, I gave myself all the pleasures that you could possibly have. And every time he says, this was vanity. It's chasing wind. All this money. I made all this money. Richest man probably in the history of the world. And he says, what good is it? I'm going to die. I can't take any of it with me. And one of my foolish kids is going to get it all. And he's going to waste it. Vanity. He goes so far as to call these things evil. It's an evil thing that this happens. What does it say about our faith if we desire money and wealth in this way? 
we have our faith in that, not God. Yeah. We're trusting in money and wealth to give me all that I need. Probably indicates that your faith may not be saving faith. Certainly would mean that we need to ask some questions. So, people that we're counseling and discipling, that's kind of what the point of this class is. We're equipping one another to do that. When I recognize that there's this, this <clears throat> desire in this person, or in my own heart, for, for money, I need to get a promotion, because that means I want to make more money, and I'll have a higher status, <clears throat> and people will have to do, they'll treat me this way, respect me this much. Who am I trusting in? What am I trusting in? God? Not if I'm doing that. Next page, Luke 12, 15. Feel we're ready for? Yes. And he said, this is Jesus, he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In the context here, this is the somebody in the crowd asking, Hey, Jesus, Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the arbiter. Like, and, he, and he gives him a, a warning. Take care and be on guard. Why? Guard against covetousness because your life doesn't consist of your stuff. Okay? This man is probably really angry with his brother. Because his brother's getting more of the inheritance. Maybe, maybe he's not getting out of any of the inheritance. And his brother's getting it all, and he's really angry. He has this strong desire to have inheritance, to have money, wealth passed on to him. And he wants Jesus to do it. Well, Jesus is you know, he's pretty influential, pretty powerful, great teacher. Maybe my brother will listen to him. He says, no. Be careful what you're strongly desiring. Mark 4. Verse 7 says, um, Other seed fell among thorns. This is the parable of the soils. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Skip into 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. This is Jesus explaining this part. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. What's the danger there of having the covetousness, the desires for other things? It removes your desire for God. Yeah. It replaces it. Yeah. It chokes, chokes out your desire for the Lord. And what's the end? Death. Death. Wait, not salvation. That's scary. There are people who received the word at the beginning, but the cares of the world, those deceit, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things, choke it out. And guess what? That's not saving faith. That person will die in their sins. And that's terrifying. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
What is Paul teaching about the desires for riches? going to lead to destruction. What else? It leads to more sin. Mm-hmm. Like Ruth was saying. Yeah, Ruth, Ruth said that earlier. This is this is the, the, the key. The list of all list all the evils that have their root in the love of money. That's question number twelve. What are some things that they're bad, it's sinful, but they're doing it out of a love for money. Stealing. Stealing. That's no bad. Yeah. Gambling. Gambling. Yeah. If you murder your husband for the life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> murder. Yes. Yes. No one in here considered that. Murder. People are murdered for the want of money. Okay. Be prideful for your ability to provide for yourself. Pride? Okay. I've been able to make this much money. Okay. I think lying, I think most, that's really common. Or compromising on your morals. Mm-hmm. Like you're, it's like, oh, well, this isn't the most legitimate way of doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to file my taxes in a state that I've never been to and don't plan on living, but I'm going to tell the federal government that, oh, I plan on moving to a state with no state taxes so that I don't have to pay them. Like, that's not true. That's... I heard of that one, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> lying, <laughs> deceiving. Not that I'm going to try it, I'm just saying. Though That is because of a love of money. I don't want, I don't want to uh, pay the taxes that I owe because it's my money. It's mine. Okay. Love of money. Actually, uh, taking out too much credit to, I mean, you know, just the desire for things mm-hmm. about what you can afford mm-hmm. is really the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about drugs, illegal drugs. What's the motive there? Do they want to enslave people to a chemical? I mean, maybe, but. They want the money. They want the money. It's about money. Um, human trafficking. What is that about? It's about money. There's any number of things that can be tied to. I, they're doing these things because it can get them money. Okay. It's a whole list that we probably don't have time to talk about. But what does Paul say is the result of these men and women who love money? I think somebody said it. Verse 9. These harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction... And then verse 10 is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. What happens if you wander away from the faith? You die in your sins. Pierce themselves with many pains. The word plunge is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's not just a slide. Yeah. It's a plunge. You know, it's a, it's a dive into it. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. James 4.2, another familiar verse. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. What does coveting, what does coveting lead to, according to James? Pride. 
fighting, quarreling. Yeah, disunity. So, it's bad. Everybody agree? Yeah. All right, so coveting is really bad. Maybe, maybe worse than, than we thought. So what's the opposite? What do we do about it? What does the scripture say is the thing to pursue? And that would be contentment. We see the danger of covetousness and how it can destroy our desire to please God, to walk with him. It can make us unfruitful, distract us, lead to our walking away from the faith. What do we do about it? How can we fight the temptation to covet? Here are some scriptures that God has given us to use in our battle against coveting and discontentment. Colossians 3, 5 and 6. What do we do? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. What do we learn there? What's the command? Put it to death. Why? Verse 6. The wrath of God is coming because of covetousness. It's false worship, idolatry, and the other things as well. So what do we need to do by faith? How do we put it to death? Let's look at John 6.35 to help us answer that question. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What's Jesus teaching us here? He's enough. He's enough. He is the only one who can satisfy. The desire for riches, the desire for power, for pleasure, been thinking about this a lot the past few weeks and I think for me the best way to put away discontent is if my heart is overflowing with thankfulness for Jesus for the things that he does for um, you know looking throughout the day at the, at the little blessings that he's given us and then continuously remembering the big blessing, the big things that he gives me every day, and then looking forward in thankfulness to what's to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, reminding ourselves of, of all the, the ways he's blessed us. That's great, because when we don't, it's like, it's like the second part of that coveting definition. It's the desire, so, so you may not have a desire for something and you just, all your life is spent pursuing that thing, but if you just stop thinking about the Lord and what he's done, who he is, you will start, we, I will start to pursue other things. So remembering things that we ought to be thankful for. What has he done for us? What is the gospel? What is his character like? All of those things, thinking about God. Thinking about Christ. That's the bread of life. Money promises to be the bread of life. That's why people will go after it. Okay? All of those things promise this, what Jesus is saying. You're thirsty, this will satisfy. You're hungry, this will satisfy. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No, no one else, nothing else. Well, what about all those ads? Those people look so happy. <laughs> That's what they want you to believe. Mm -hmm. If you have my product, 
-hmm. you're just going to have a real party and be so happy. Yeah. And you don't realize after the party things crash. Yeah. Back yeah, you're almost there, but you just need this. Just, just this. These clothes. And can I bring back up to the like desire to? I don't know. I know a lot of people, and it's a really hard struggle. But the desire to um, have a baby, the desire mm -hmm. to be married, the desire to get the certain grade in this class, like that coveting of those things, putting them before the Lord. You know, how much time am I spending on a Bible study versus studying? How much time am I spending worrying and trying to figure out how to have a baby versus focusing on Jesus and desiring him? Mm -hmm. You know, um, those things also very much apply. Well, in declaring your contentment, I mean, I think it's, it's all that of being thankful, but also I have to say I've put on, especially when I see those silly, stupid ads. <laughs> I'm content. I don't need that, mm -hmm. you know. Or I keep saying dumbass. I don't want to see you. But just contentment. I don't need that. I'm content. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and not just I don't need that, but I'm content in what I ha in what God's provided. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm content with the beat up car. Or I'm content with this or that. Yeah. And and the next question: What do we need to do by faith? If if I'm seeing, I'm sensing, I'm, I've got this coveting. I really want. I'm watching TV and I see the ad come up. I really want that. What do we need to do by faith? Is we remind ourselves, and this is the, the part that we don't we know. What does Jesus say? He says, I am the bread of life. He's got the water of life. Okay, So that's the easy part, but what do we do? What you were about to do to go get the thing that you're coveting, do to Jesus. If you're about to leave your house to go get the meal or whatever, what would that look like to by faith, do something to where I'm trusting in Jesus to satisfy my heart. If I really, if I'm working hard, I've been working really hard to get the promotion because I think if, the, if I get the money, it will make me satisfied. I need to work hard, spend time, carve out time in my schedule to focus on Christ, to go to Christ. What does it mean? I, I mean, that might be part of the study. What does it mean to for Jesus to be the bread of life for me? I think that goes along with her. Like, I can speak on that, like the baby standpoint of it. Like, we have a choice to have another baby, or we could do IVF, or we have all these other options. Mm -hmm. We chose fostering. Mm -hmm. um, so, to find that purpose that God holds for your life. Definitely not my plan. Mm -hmm. I want to have more of my own. Mm -hmm. But to take that time to walk beside him mm -hmm. and learn your purpose mm -hmm. through that and through him with your eyes solely fixed on him, not my own desire and what I I seek out of it. So. Yeah, we have we have desires. It's not bad to have a desire, but it's it's holding it with an open hand. And if the Lord doesn't give that to me, am I okay? Is he enough? Is Jesus enough to satisfy me, or am I just going to be unsatisfied and unhappy until I get the thing that I want? Jason? I think, uh, especially when you're looking at stuff that's not, either it's not sinful to desire, or it might even be a recommendation from the Bible. It may be, you know, could even be a command. If there's something in your life that you just haven't been blessed with, or that you feel, and we do that a lot. It's like, why can't I have this good thing, God? Why can't, what, like, you want me to do this. You want me to, you know, 
help others or do this and like so why isn't this why are you not gifted me this to allow me to do that and what helped me I've been in those situations plenty of times is just to go to God in prayer and say Lord if I'm not supposed to if this isn't supposed to happen or I don't I'm not supposed to have this please change my desires so that I don't like please align my desires with your your goals for me for your plan for me because I don't want to like I think God will honor you if you're if you're asking you know bottom line help me stop sinning I think God's going to answer that prayer so like there's been situations career choices things that I've really really wanted and desired that you know I think would be God honoring if they were given to me that I they just never opened up they never happened and I had to mm-hmm. pray for you know Please make me not desire the same. Or had to pray for that contentment, mm-hmm. help my unbelief. Yeah. And and the Lord may give you that. He may do that for you. He may change your heart, and he may not. Uh, and it, and it would be the mercy of God if he doesn't, because he's teaching us to trust him. You will probably always want the thing. I will always want. I have this desire. I'll feel like it. it, it it might be nice for that, but that's part of what the Lord is in his wisdom gave me, and he's going to help me to continually, okay, I re- recognize this, I need to go to the Lord. That might be the thing that's giving you back to, getting you back to him. So, oh, Lord, I'm, I want the job again. I want that thing again. Help me. I, I know that you are the bread of life. You are what satisfies my soul. If I was to get that, that wouldn't satisfy me. Help me remember that. Now I'm going to go into your word. I'm going to, I'm going to look at you. I'm going to behold the Lord. And that might be the thing that, that just happens. And by faith, we walk through that. Abraham, I mean, how many years did he walk in faith? Because the Lord said he was going to give him a son. I mean, years. Okay? And ultimate fulfilling of that never happened. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. All of these Old Testament saints, it never happened in their lifetime. But they had faith. They trusted God that it would happen. And that God's not lying. And he's going to do it in his timing. And he's going to have his perfect way. And it's going to glorify him. And that's what faith is. It may never go away. People die. And they're killed because they have faith in Christ that won't go away. So they don't want to die. I don't think anybody's like... Really, sign me up. Yes, I want to be a martyr. Not probably a long list of people, but by faith we can walk through, and we can still love the Lord and take that, cast that care on Him, because He cares for us, and He can satisfy us without the thing that I want. A little bit of time. First Timothy six six through eight. Do you believe this? That godliness with contentment is great gain? Do, you, do we believe that? I mean, I've heard that a lot of times. Do I, I don't know. Do I believe that? Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Reminding ourselves, we got to memorize that godliness, that, that and which is just a devotion for God that pervades every part of my life. 
a love and a reverence for him that bleeds into everything, how I parent, how I uh, treat my wife, how I work, how I treat my siblings, how I do all of the things, how I choose the movies I'm going to watch, the books I'm going to read. All of that, that's godliness with contentment, thankfulness for what he's given us, for what he's done for us. That's a great gain. More gain than all of the rich people in the world who don't have godliness, who don't love the Lord. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from, the, from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What do we learn there? This is a key to fighting covetousness in our hearts. This discontentment. I guess regardless of our circumstances, he's with us. He's with us. Yeah. In the absence of the thing that I really want, who is there? Jesus is there. And if, if I'm thinking about that, and if I'm believing in that, and I'm trusting that, I can fight covetousness. I can confidently say, verse 6, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I'm not, I'm not going to be afraid of the lack of this thing. What might happen down the road? What can man do to me? The promise that is better than money in that text is, is the presence of Jesus. He will never leave us. What could be better than that? Okay. So, here's what we'll do. I think we're, we're to the point, and this is kind of the same thing. I'll just read through a couple of these real quick, and this is that same process. We stop, identify, repent, and act. If covetousness is the desire for something other than God that causes our love for God to shrink, then the key to fighting covetousness is to take hold of the promises and truths about God and ourselves that destroy the power of these desires. We're believing lies. This is true for all sin. When I'm sinning, I'm believing a lie about God or about myself. Okay, so so here we stop. Fear God. How am I thinking about God in this moment of temptation? I really want that car, that house, that job, that person. I really want that. Where's God there? Probably not. I mean, so we reorient. Reorient our, our minds. How does God feel about this and about me? Well, Hebrews, we just read, he will never leave me. He loves me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And how does God feel about covetousness? Not good. I mean, so we're reminding ourselves of things. Okay, this is sinful. Okay. Identifying where am I putting my faith when I'm desiring this thing so much? Putting my faith in that, the power of that thing to, to help me, to satisfy me. Where's the lie? 
this car will make you popular and it'll show everybody how cool you are and how good you are at your job and how awesome all these things are. It'll make your life make sense. It'll be everything for you. That's a lie. It will do none of that. What's the truth? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Whose kingdom and glory am I seeking? Obviously, if I want the car, it's my own glory. It's my own kingdom. And then we repent, confess the idolatry. Lord, please forgive me. I want this thing more than I want you. And that is wickedness. And we obey God. What does he expect me to do? Behold Christ. He's the bread of life. Colossians 3, 5, he expects me to put this to death. 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. So, we could, I mean, we could continue this series for a long time and look at this. Thought questions, I, I do encourage you to look at that. Um, we didn't have time, but other, other forms of discontentment there, complaining, impatience, greed, and envy. If I'm complaining a lot, that is, that is discontentment with the circumstances that God has seen fit to give me. What, is that, what does that mean? How do I stop complaining? We talk about ungodliness and worldliness. That was brought up last week in our list. Um, forms of self-indulgence like sexual immorality, gluttony, laziness. There's on and on and on. Any sin, how does this process of, okay, faith in Christ, not in this thing, this person, or in myself, that's going to satisfy my heart. So, we've seen the victory over the sins of anxiety, pride, and covetousness are firmly grounded in faith. Knowing the right things about God, affirming these things, acting in faith and obedience to these truths. Faith means living like the God, like God is who He says He is, and conforming our lives in obedience to all we see in His Word. The promises and truths of His Word are what form the weapons we use in our fight against all sins. So, with that, we will start a new series next week. John will be talking about love. So, thank you, everybody, and we'll have a great, blessed week.